0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 117, and the quote of the day is from William Shakespeare, who said, The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals, information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Raffini here with another session of the Drummers Resource Podcast. And I'm in a I'm in a good mood today. It's Friday, it's sunny, it's summertime doesn't get much better than that. Hey, listen, do me a favor. If you're really digging the podcast and you're getting some value out of it, head over to iTunes and leave me an honest rating and review and you leaving a review, what that does is it gets the Drummer's Resource podcast higher in the ratings and gets more people to see the podcast, gets more people to get a chance to listen to the podcast. So like I said, if you're digging it, just head over and, and leave a, a quick, honest rating and review. It could take you 30 seconds, maybe even a minute, and share it with your friends. If you're, you know, if you know some musicians and drummers that could we'll get a, would we'll get a kick out of this, uh, go ahead and send it over. This session is brought to you by DW Drums, and those of you who've been listening to this podcast know that I've been playing DW Drums for years, and the reason being is not only because they make great handcrafted drums, but also because they support and foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast, and I really sincerely appreciate their support Check them out at dwdrums.com and be sure to send them a message on social, just letting them know that you appreciate their support to keep the podcast free for all the listeners. This session is also sponsored by Evans, the leader in innovation for the 16-inch bass drum head. From single-ply clear all the way to the Mad heavyweight bass batter, Evans is producing heads that maximize the power and nuance of smaller bass drum heads. Check them out today at evansdrumheads.com. The interview that I have today is Byron Landum, Byron Wookiee Landum, as everyone calls him. And for those of you who don't know who Byron is, he is a force to be reckoned with. He's a fantastic bebop player, fantastic musician, and uh, just an all-around good dude. He is from the Philadelphia area, which I am, and I grew up hearing his name, hearing his playing, learning about him, and uh, met him briefly one time in Anaheim, but now actually got to sit down and chat with him for over an hour about all kinds of stuff so it's really really special for me to have him on the podcast and we're going to get right into this great interview with mr byron landham byron what's happening man thank you so much for doing this i appreciate it uh my pleasure nick how are you i'm doing well it's good to uh it's good to have a, a philly guy on here man you gotta i gotta keep my philly people coming on here and it's mm-hmm. also great to have you because i've been i've I've met you before. You may not know, uh, remember, but we met uh, in Anaheim. But I also, uh, you know, I've been hearing your name for a very, very long time for being around the De Francescos, being around Glenn Faricone, uh, right. and all those guys. Sing your praise, and you're a fantastic player. And I'm just, I'm just honored to have you on the show, man. So thank you. Thank you. My pleasure, man. Absolutely. So let's. I always like to get a little bit of backstory on my guests. So just tell the audience a little bit about, about who you are and what you do.
1: Well, um, my name's Byron Landum. I'm a musician. I guess I've been playing drums now for oh, maybe 30-plus years. I think I started I was around seven years old uh, playing. And uh, I studied a little bit at a school called Settlement Music School. And I have a brother who's also a musician. His name's Robert Landom. He's a great uh, saxophonist, alto saxophonist, and uh, classical clarinetist as well. So I had some motivation there when I was young playing. And I just kind of came up uh, playing a little bit around the Philadelphia area. Uh, settlement music school people, like um, uh, so many of them, uh, Joey francesco's was in the settlement, and Chris McBride. and. Uh, uh, a lot of different people I met uh, from the Philly scene then and I uh, I started to work a little bit professionally I guess when I was about 14 or 15 years old just kind of like working in the area doing uh, various projects for like uh, whether it was through the Cleft Club, Club kind of thing with Levin Hines or whether it was with um, I started getting gigs with a guitarist a really good guitarist named Monette Sutler, and and Bootsy Barnes who's a fantastic was kind of like a living legend. Mm-hmm. And also, the, the late, great Charles Fambro, who's a dynamite bassist who's uh, works, who worked with uh, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. I think he called me when I was about 17 years old and I started to work with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And all this stuff just kind of like led into more and more gigs and I think uh, Joey DeFrancesco had uh, just started a group because he had he had got a record deal with Columbia Records. I think he had worked with Miles Davis for a number of months, and him and my brother were really tight. And they were, my brother was in his band, so he was looking for a drummer at the time, and and my brother said, "Well, call call my brother," and that kind of that's where that whole relationship started. And I worked with him for who God knows, from, uh, 21 years or something like that. Wow. And I yeah, I managed to work with some other people in between, like. Uh, <laughs> Betty Carter I worked with for a couple of years, uh, the great, late, great singer. And I worked with uh, the guitarist Russell Malone for mm-hmm. a number of years. And me and Joey have done all these, work. worked with a bunch of different people as well, like Pat Martino we worked with for a few years. I worked, I worked with, um, uh, recently I've, I've been working with Dave Sanborn. I'm actually going to do something with him in September in Brazil. Oh, awesome yeah and i've been you know my my whole thing's just been spreading and i've been i'm traveling a lot i'm always in italy doing workshops and i just worked there with steve nelson recently did a record awesome and yeah it's just it's, it's just a matter of networking and keeping busy mm-hmm. i got a lot of friends that they come out of this area that have gone on to be international stars in their own right and then i work with them a lot like Orrin evans i have did several records with Orrin and and also Timothy Warfield Jr. I've done a lot with him and Terrell Stafford and things like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Now you had mentioned uh, mentioned doing work with Joey DeFrancesco, and it seems mm-hmm. like you guys are like like a package deal. It's like if you get yeah, we've one done and a and lot and the of the packages. There's no <laughs> doubt. It's no doubt because I think people always like to have but him and I are
1: like a, a really I, I would consider some a really tight rhythm section. We mm-hmm. kind of think alike. So a lot of people would hear us and say, Man, I want to you know, I want that groove under me or whatever, you know. Right, right. So I mean we've done done countless things, even a record with with Frank West, the late great Frank West, mm-hmm. and we worked with George Coleman and Bobby Hutchison. So I always been been like that.
0: Yeah, it's just interesting if you look up if you look up videos of you, Joey's there. If you look up videos of Joey, you're there. Which is I'm great. there. Which, yeah. <laughs> which, which is great. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I love it. Uh,
1: yeah, that's just from the number of years. You know, a lot of people don't even know that I don't work with him anymore. They think I still work in his band. So it's, you're I not still, working
0: with Joey at all now.
1: I haven't worked with him in two years. It's, oh, no? Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, people are used to uh, our association for so long. Um, you know, people get used to that, so they always think that it's going to be around forever. Sure. Who knows? Maybe something else will happen. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Mm.
0: Yeah, right. So now, I, I'd like to backtrack a little bit. When you were when you were coming up, was it always jazz, or were you playing everything else and just sort of gravitated towards jazz?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Actually, when I started playing, it was more like Top 40. I, I would play whatever I heard, like... Um, I'm the youngest out of six, so in my household, you know, it was all kinds of music, everything from Gladys Knight to Pips to, you know, Stevie Wonder Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I was kind of like, I gravitated towards that music, actually. I think one of the first songs I learned was a group, was a song called Ain't Gonna Hurt Nobody, Mm -hmm. a group called Brick. So I was kind of like, I was totally into the R&B thing and then the funk thing, you know. Right. And just sort of. And yeah, kind of, well, my brother, uh, I think he started to play. Somebody turned him on. A guy, a, a friend of my father's, a, a man named Paul Finney, gave my brother this this record collection when we were really young. And it was like all these different, uh, Maynard, Maynard Ferguson and um, Earl Bostick and all these different jazz artists that we hadn't heard of. My brother got really involved in that. And he was uh, attending all these music camps, these different music camps, and he started playing jazz a lot. So, I started listening to what he was doing and hanging around and hanging around with musicians that were playing. And I, I kind of like started getting, you know, was pulling me in a little bit and I started to enjoy it. And I liked it a little bit more, I thought, because I, it allowed me to be more of an individual than just being like a background person. Sure. Not me to be a little bit more expressive in what I was feeling rhythmically.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, the and the reason why I asked that is because. I've, I've mentioned this numerous times on the podcast, is that for some reason there's all other styles of music and mm-hmm. then there's jazz. Like, that's the way that people look at it. I'm not saying that's the way it is, but that's, it's like, oh, no, I play, you know, funk and rock and I do all this stuff, or it's like I play jazz, which I don't really understand <laughs> because, you know, rock yeah. came out of jazz. I know? don't like
1: that because, to me, when I came up playing, you had to play everything. Right. There's right. two kinds of music, it's either good or it's bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't call my, I don't consider myself. I say I might say jazz musician because people recognize me as that. I'm most known for that, but I mm-hmm. I basically play anything that uh whatever calls for, you know.
0: Right. And you and know. the reason why I bring that up because I'm with you, I don't I don't agree with you know, jazz Category, yeah, c- c- categorizing I don't, I don't, like, I don't like putting of... things in containers. I just said mm-hmm. like you said, not to use your words, but you know it's either good yeah. or bad. That's it. That's that's it. That's so it. how? So, well, I got a couple questions about it. One, why do you think there is such a big disconnect? Nobody's saying like, "Oh, I'm a rock guy, and I'm not a funk guy." But a lot of people are like, "I play all this other stuff, and I don't play jazz." So, one, why do you think there's this big disconnect? And two, what do you think is the solution of try to get over, to, of trying to, to get over that disconnect, to get
1: past that? I don't know. I think it's just. I think it comes down to a matter of musicians respecting music all all around like me I I studied classically I even played the tuba you know it's it's about it's about having a passion for music and not necessarily style stylistically mm-hmm. but just the music itself and I think that it's always been this thing from um you know a lot of jazz guys they were so uh technically proficient and so um also like very sophisticated stylistically and some of the rock guys were just maybe playing more from a volume standpoint or technique in a different way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, some people, it's just attitudes from some people not really respecting music or listening to music. Right. You know, for me, it's like, I I like, you know, I like everything. I listen to Led Zeppelin. I listen to anything. I like John Bonham as much as the next guy or as much as I like Elvin Jones. You know, it's, it's just a matter of really listening to music and appreciating that. And I think... I don't think it will ever end because I think that America is too used to categorizing things. If you look at the Grammys, for instance, mm-hmm. they do all this categorizing this, 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 and that. Right. So we're always going to have that Western society in my opinion. Sure. I went to I went to Germany years ago, man, and I was listening to a radio station and it was everything on there. It was Michael Jackson, one song. The next song was avant-garde. The next song was, was jazz song. The next song was, you know, like Bulgarian wedding music. It was just, you know, it's like, it shouldn't be for me I'm with you. There should be no separation in music. It's either good or it's bad. I like to listen to a lot of different music mm-hmm. to to draw my experience. And and I think that jazz is is not so much what you're playing or the type of beat it is. It's how you play what you play. Right. And that could be any type of groove, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's kind of like my views on it. I don't know if that's gonna get any better because it's always going to. I've heard guys say, "Oh, you, know, I, you play jazz. I'm a rock guy. I do this. I do that." And this is like, look. I just play music. I don't like when people say I'm a jazz drummer. Right? No, I like to call myself a musician first of all. Drums is something
0: that I happen to play, but I'm a musician first. Musician first, drummer second. Right? And you know, it's you had mentioned uh, about listening to all styles of music. The hardest question that I ever have to answer is, what kind of music do you listen to? I'm like, like, man, I don't even know. I listen to everything. Everything. No, no, like, like, who's your who's your top? I'm like, man, I don't. I can't exactly. Even, it depends what day of the week it is. Yeah, exactly. You know. Exactly. So, let's so say I came up to you and I said, I said, "Man, I don't I don't know anything about jazz, man, but I know that that's where the history is and that's where the lineage of, of drumming is." So, mm-hmm. where where do I start? What should what should I start getting into? What should I start checking out?
1: I would say listen to some old uh Count Basie records from the from the 20s and 30s, even some old Duke Ellington stuff. Mhm. Listen. Try to listen to a little bit of the evolution. You got some uh, groups like K- uh, King Oliver and Kid Ory. That's like the way back stuff. If you want to check out some of that stuff, just for reference, listen to some Louis Armstrong groups. That group with the Hot Seven. Mm-hmm. You know, those are really that's really good resources in terms of the history of the music. And then work your way up to like the early uh, bebop stuff, and in the, in the big band. I guess you go through the big band stuff before you get to the to the bebop. You go through. You know, those big bands. And then you get into, you know, um, like Bud Powell and, and uh, Charlie Parker and those guys. Mm-hmm. And then you work your way up to, like, Miles Davis and John Coltrane. And then you you go beyond that. You can take that as far as, you know, the late 60s, even when it's starting to go more into a fusion
0: vibe. Right. You
1: know, it's still, uh, it's all relative, you know.
0: hmm I was interviewing... Um who was I talking to? I think it was I think I was talking to Gary Chafee and he was saying people don't learn oh no, I was talking to John Riley actually. Mm-hmm. he said he said people don't learn music chronologically. It's sort right. of like you may start listening to Zeppelin and then you meet somebody that turns you on to this and then and, exactly. and and the older generation may hit a younger, you know, the younger generation and stuff. And it reminded me of a video that I saw of you on youtube years ago and i think you were like walking into a club or something and they were interviewing you mm. or asking you some questions and you were talking about that about how jazz is a history and a lineage that needs you, to be passed down from say. the people above yeah. it and people yeah. people passed it down you, to you, you and you're and you just want just to pass it down to, it. to to other people i see i see uh, and so i wanted to talk okay. to you a little bit about that because one, I want, how, how do you suggest that people go and, and seek that out and sort of find that mentor to, to pass down that knowledge to them? And two, do you feel like it's not, it's not that way as much as it used to be in terms of people sort of taking others under their wing and, and guiding them down that road?
1: Well, well first of all, let me let me agree with you with, or agree with what John Riley said. It's like music is usually learned by whatever you hear first and you're attracted to. There's really no chronological. you can't it's like I always say to people, you have to know where you've been to know where you're going, mm-hmm. but usually you start somewhere in the middle, usually start. Not at the beginning, but you might start at the end and then work your way back to try to catch up. So that's I always thought that was important, and that's that's very true. The music, um, and when I when I talked about in that interview about how uh, I think it should be passed down generation, it's a thing that's passed down from generation to generation. That's true. That's like my experience. That's as as I was growing up. I'm mainly re- reflecting that, or I'm referring to that. That was like my experience coming up, knowing people like uh, Mickey Roker, Edgar Bateman, um, Billy James. It was just a different time because you would go out to see these men play it, and they didn't only talk about music, they talked about life, and actually that's what music is about, it's about life. Mm-hmm. It's about all the adversities and all the, all the things you deal with outside of the music as well. You know, And these right. guys would always, you know, if it was a musical situation, if I was working with Shirley Scott and I was 17, she would say, Don't do that, right? Or do this? You know, it was a lot of that. You don't have that so much anymore. Now, so many students, you have so much stuff, so much music in the universities. It's become very institutionalized. So it's a different. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That's cool, but it's just a different way of learning. Like a lot of these guys, they don't, they don't have the kind of. Hands-on training. It's more about a, you know, an academic, a, a more of an academic approach to it. Mm. And I think that that music is something that's spiritual. It's more that you can't teach spirituality. To people. Right. Right. Like, you know. That's and that's what I think when I talk about something being handed down. Like for me to grab a young drummer, for me to grab Wayne Smith and, and these guys, I do take them under my wing. Mm-hmm. Wayne Smith and Kyrie Shahid and, and Chris Beck and, and Jonathan Blake and Ari Hona, all of them I took under my wing and so you know um, it's important for me to talk to them about my experiences when I was there because I was maybe on the road a little bit before some of these guys were. Mm-hmm. So that's it's about that. It's about me sharing what I experienced out there and saying you know, be careful of this and just keep your head up and don't don't get too down mm-hmm. when things don't feel right and don't get too high when things feel like they're going good you have to keep an even
0: right, right, right and you know a lot of it is and and correct me if I'm wrong but not necessarily even the people that you're playing with but what you're doing with them off stage too like I've learned mm-hmm. so much with like hanging out at the music center with Glenn and hanging right. out with you know hanging out with Johnny and hanging out with Joey and having these guys sort of like mentally mm-hmm. kick my ass about the music yeah. And, yeah and explain it to me and for those of the listeners who don't know the music center is uh glenn farrakone's studio he's one of my mentors and and he's had this studio for years and it's like a safe haven to go in and sort of hang yes, and, and talk music and uh you know you byron's cut multiple records there with with uh joey d francesco and everything. Great. and so I've learned, you know, I learned so much not only being on stage with those guys, but sitting in a room, you know, drinking wine till three o'clock in the morning talking. Oh music. yeah,
1: well that's most of your. That's when you're really going to learn. Then right. when you get somebody in their soft spot or their comfort zone, they're going to really open up. You know, and that was the same thing with me. A lot of these young students that I teach now, at Temple. When I was at Leafs play, I'd be playing or whatever. And then it'd be a jam session, and guys would play. And I would, things that I would hear musically, I would say, you know, they would ask me a question and I would talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's nice if you can see something going on and you can say, this is what I was, you know, was referring to when I was talking about. Right. And you're playing, you got to have a hump on it or it's, it's an attitude, it's a presence, you know. Right. 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 And That's ha- what I mean. That's hands on, you know, you dig? Right, right, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> I guess, and so this is sort of a, a probably going to be a tough question to ask, but how do you suggest people go and find that sort of environment? Like for me, I lived across the street from the Music Center, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been going to see Glenn play at Vincent's for years. So I just put the two together, and I said, "Hey, man, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to basically like keep banging on the door until he lets me in." And mm-hmm. so I got lucky in that regard. Sure, I went and, and sought it out, but I got lucky in that regard. But so, for other people who don't have a music studio right across the street from where they live, how do you suggest that people can sort of get into that that environment of of mentors?
1: Well, I think it's going to have to go. It's going to have to deal with. Um, it's going to have to deal with like educational institutions because I think that's where the music is tends to be going now. And I mean, I don't mean just universities per se. I mean, like uh, if you look at places like the, the Cleft Club, Club, places that you can see older musicians working because the club scene now it doesn't seem to appeal to these musicians who have experience you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like all the um, all the apprenticeship gigs are over now it's like club owners give gigs to guys who don't really know themselves so well yet you right. know what you know what i mean right, right, right. and you got these young, a lot of young guys playing their you know playing their vibe or whatever and it's and you can tell that they don't they haven't really lived enough to you know, express that, and and I think it's it comes down to money too. A lot of these older musicians are not respected and they're not taken care of, like they were, when I was coming up. For instance, it's like a lot of these clubs don't even pay the musicians the same as they paid them 30 years ago. They right. paid more then. Yeah. So it's that's the problem. And you give you give all the gigs to students because you don't want to pay them, and the students are just anxious to play, but you don't have that connect with with uh, some older musicians who can, you know, maybe talk about things at the gig, the hands-on things that you and I had, you know? Right, right. It's, it's tough, man, you know? I, I, um, And I realized that, like, me and Mike Boone were talking about this. We're kind of like that link. I'm that link in between the old and the new. Mm-hmm. And I still, I try to help these musicians out as much as I can because I think that that's really my purpose is, you know... I know I'm a player and all that, but I think my purpose in life now really is to is to help people... Get to where they're going, and to help them, in terms of uh, playing from a spiritual perspective mm-hmm. and from a conceptual more than just, you know, and just to just talk to them about life in, in
0: general, right? You know, that sort of emphasizes the the point that I always make that you're a musician and and you're an artist, and you want to play from that, and you want to be artistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to have artistic integrity with everything that you do. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, you also need to mind the business side of things too, because you have to, you have to put food on the table. You have to, you know, you have to pay your bills. And I think sometimes it gets a negative connotation where it's like, Oh, why are you worried about the money? Because you should just be playing. It's like, Hey man, exactly. This is, this is my career. This is my job. This is right. You know, I don't have a, I don't work at a finance company during the day and then just Mm -hmm. go and play on the weekends.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's the problem. I think that has, and that goes back to what you were talking about earlier. Also, I think too, when people say I'm a rock guy or I'm a jazz guy, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times people that play jazz they're not looked at as somebody as to making a living playing. Right. But yet, if you have a gig with somebody like Springsteen or you're something like that, you're you're a star. Mm -hmm. So I've I've seen it, you know, on both. And so many things go into it. It's usually about the security of of. you know, of, of you being able to take care of your family, or you making a career out of what what you do. Sure. It's like you know how people respect that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, I see and it, not to know, be, and I don't want to. Sorry to interrupt you, but I don't want to belittle anyone out there that has a finance gig and then they play on the weekend. Right. Too. Right. That's, that's fine. That's yeah. your that's your deal. That's that's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's
1: fine, but don't call me. You know, I just I'm a week from doing the Grammys, and you call me to play in your backyard for $20 and say, right. I should be happy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's like mo- with multimedia now, you know, people, you get all kinds of stuff. People, oh, yeah, yeah, I know you. Oh, yeah, can you do a gig? It's in Florida. It pays 50 bucks. <laughs> right.
0: And you got to fly it out. <laughs> yeah, it's just nuts. There's
1: it's no it's no shame. Nobody has any shame about asking certain people. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm great, but I wouldn't call um, – you know, God bless it. So I wouldn't call somebody like Dave Brubeck and say, "Oh yeah, I saw you on Facebook. Um, yeah, I got this gig. Can you do this gig? It's seventy five dollars. It's at, that's right. at uh, you know, such and such a place. Right. You know, it's music etiquette. You got to know <laughs> that some people you don't you don't present. You got to come to them correctly. You got to bring your mortgage, your house to pay them. Right. You can right. give them, you know, 50 cents.
0: Right. <laughs> I will say this, though. You know, one lesson that I, that I learned from Glenn was, he was like, if you don't have any gigs, then create the gig and hire the musicians to play on the gig. That's, that's like, right. If you pay them the right money, they'll, you know, they'll do the gig. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's one way. I know a lot of people out there are like, oh, I don't have any gigs. And I always say, create your own. Go That's it. hire some cats to play and book the room and and. Mm-hmm. Pay them that's, their money.
1: And, that's what you have to do. You know? I, heard, I heard Ray Brown say, um, you know, if you're not making any money in this business, it's your fault. Right. And that's, that's tough. That's like tough love. But mm-hmm. no, I, can I, to a, I can understand it to an extent. You know, it's, I
0: sort of feel like it, that's a life lesson where, you know, I, I'm mm-hmm. a firm believer in where you're at in your life, whether it be good or bad, is a direct result of, of actions that you've taken previously. Yes possibly that's some yeah. of that I think some of that
1: let's see <laughs> some people can't help it though some, well, some sure,
0: people. sure there are extenuating circumstances I agree mm-hmm. with that yeah So what do you think is the is the solution or what or maybe not the solution but what's your opinion of moving forward because like you said the the club player that that industry is is sort of dying or not sort it, of dying well, it is dying.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I think it's like, I think everything goes in cycles, and I think uh, I think maybe it's taking a little bit of a back step to, to education and putting the music in the universities. Like, I see a lot of these universities have clubs, and they have theaters and stuff like that, and they bring mm-hmm. in some of the uh, well-named artists to come in and perform in those areas, and you don't see them like in a, uh, you know, in a... Um, a Really big, nice club, or you right? Know, you, you, it's just going to be like either in, a, in, a, in an institution, in a college, or either in like a symphonic hall. There's no, mm-hmm. no in betweens anymore. It's like you either right. at the top or you're at the bottom, right? It's kind of like you know, everything,
0: <laughs> sure. And it's weird because you have you know, a place like Chris's in Philly, mm-hmm. and you know, that's a that's a club, it's a jazz club, and then yes. but you know, those places are falling by the wayside, and now it's just a bar that has, yeah a stage in it and they're not really accommodating and they just say, Oh, you can just set up in the corner and you know, Mm -hmm. so I sort of, it's, it's weird because the bars or the the quote unquote clubs still want to have live music, but they don't want to make it a live music club. Exactly. You know what I mean?
1: They want to live all kind of like live off the name, but they don't want to really do all the things that it entails. They don't want to encompass all the things it entails. Right. Right, like especially especially with you know uh, taking care of the artists and building some kind of clientele and really respecting the music, making people respect the music.
0: Right, right, I agree. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I'd lo- I'd love to get into talking a little bit about practice routine because people ask me about practice routine all the time. So mm-hmm. what's what's your current practice routine, or what was it years ago when you were really honing? Your the chops. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I guess when I
1: practice now, a lot of times it's just it's usually I work on playing song forms, and mm-hmm. um, because I think that's important. I think the the way that a lot of people compose music now is not it's not always your standard, um, you know, uh, eight or sixteen bar kind of phrased out tune. It's like it could be really weird sections like. So I always try to challenge myself a little bit with unique song forms just to try to, you know, feel, prepare myself for some of the things that people might throw at me. Mm-hmm. And I like to, I think, what I think a lot of people don't work on, what I really like to work on is just sound, is getting the sound out of the instrument. Right. I think a lot of us, we focus too much on the notes that we play and not the color of the notes. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, the sound is a lot more important. Sure. I, I've always had like naturally good technique, and I, it's something I practice. Uh, uh, I practice a bit on my life more, more when I was younger than I, than I do now. Like this, actually, my, my I think I need to. I, it's a lot of things I need to work on technically, but I just I'm I'm more concerned about the sound and the feeling, or the mood. I like to play and set up moods with different grooves and things like that. Mm-hmm. For me, it's all about that. And I think a lot of drummers don't practice in that sense. They they sit down and work on chops and they, they work on maybe play on a song, but it's so important to just really work on sound. And move your sound is what's gonna make you yourself. That's what's sure. gonna make people hire you. You know, you sound I hear a lot of good drummers, but they all sound alike. So right. it's, you know, you wanna make sure you have a distinctive sound. So that's pretty much what I work on a lot. And and I do some things because I teach a lot, so I uh, I work on some of the other things, some of the technical things I do, but most of the time I make my students work work mainly with song forms, and and whether that be playing through them and then improvising on them, and I make them work on playing ballads and things like that. I'll, I'll sing while they play play brushes or something, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a lot of a lot of stuff like that. I've I've been concentrating on that. It's more on, on the subtleties, sure. Pay, you know, the, the because I think it's also important to play like when you have a piece of music. It's so important to pay attention to 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 uh, being being fundamentally sound and also being detailed. You know, you got to be real detailed. A lot of guys they don't play, they don't use their dynamics so well, or they're just kind of like you know they'll look, they'll look at a chart and read it like they're reading something. That's right. why I don't even like to you know I, I try to learn learn a piece of music from the chart, and I don't even want to look at the chart because sure. I want to personalize the music. So I, those are the kind of things I practice. Those are the kind of things
0: I teach to the musicality side of things. Yeah, the musicality side of it. Exactly. Chops, chops, chops. <laughs> 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 what's that? What's that quote? Uh, 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 what, what do you mean dynamics? I always play loud. La- or or I, I always play, play loud. <laughs> or, or what do you mean dynamics? I'm playing as loud as like. <laughs> I'm playing as loud as I can.
1: <laughs> and that's important too. You got to be able to play loud. Right. You know. But when I worked with Betty Carter, I know that's one thing I learned. Like with her. You would have to go from a whisper to a roar right you know what i mean and, right. and back to a whisper you know you had to go from extremely fast to extremely slow you'd be playing this tempo forever right, right and right. then it's like the next song is about like okay we go one two you know you go to get the brushes and your hands are shaking right you know, so it's you just have to you know condition your body for that
0: and, and your brain a little bit mm-hmm. yeah it's and it is definitely way harder to play at 50 beats a minute than 150 beats a minute. You better believe it. <laughs> and make it feel good. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking, well, it's funny, you had mentioned playing really loud. Uh, my buddy Mike Windish plays for Chubby Checker, and he said that mm-hmm. he's like, man, he was like, I feel like I'm in a rock band. Wow. But he said that Chubby's just like keeps looking at him. He's like, give me more. Give, give me, me more. more. Give it yeah. to me. Yeah. He was like, I never thought that that was going to be the case with him, but that's, he's like, that's how he likes it. So, you,
1: you would be surprised. You know, I've, I've gone through that with, with Dave. When I first started working with Dave Sanborn, man, he was so, uh, my hands were hurting. I was hurting my hands because you would hear him so much. He would have side fills on the stage, you know, right. the monitors in front of him. And it was just so, everything was so like blowing me away. And I'm thinking, man, I can't, I can't play any harder than this. Right. You know, so how do you compensate for that? I just, I would just play softer. I just played, I, I play the way that I, that I would play. I said I can't play above that. Right. And if he wants to hear more of me, he can, they can put more of me in the monitor. Right. <laughs> because I think I do play. I play a good, I use a, a nice dynamic range when I play. I play a little mm-hmm. bit of, of everything.
0: Now, so. Well, two things. I, I, I want to touch on the dynamic stuff, but I want I do want to mention one thing about your playing. There's a, there's a clip from you on your website where you're playing with Pat Martino and you have this solo. And I'm not a big guy to just go and fast forward to solos, but I think mm. that the way that you play is so musical that that's why I love watching your solos. And there's mm. a section of that where you just, I, you don't play anything for, I mean, it feels like an eternity.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: And <laughs> to me, that I mean, I don't know. It maybe it's it, you know it may be like a half a bar or something like that. But it's such it's such a, a a level of maturity and confidence to mm-hmm. not play. Yeah. And I was just I was watching that and I was kind of like, man, I don't know if I would have the balls to do that on stage. <laughs> like, I, uh, because I think it takes I take I think it takes more courage to not play something than to, to play something.
1: Absolutely.
0: So. Can, can you can you sort of talk about just that approach of, of where where you're coming from with that kind of thing? Sure,
1: sure. I mean, and that's a lot. I, I teach that a lot too. You know, playing playing music, and not only just girls playing any instrument. You know, um, when you're playing improv improvisational music, it's always about uh, the, the syncopation that you play. So I like to play extremely syncopated. I like to play, I like to say the notes in between the notes. Mm -hmm. I like to play that way. And anytime you're playing any music that's improvisational, what you don't play is always more important than what you do play. Right. Because that's what shapes the music, the space in between. You got to leave, always, my thing is, you always got to leave some space for God to breathe and do his his thing in the music. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and sometimes you have to sit back and take a breath to let ideas flow. You can't always force what you have what you have inside of you you gotta sometimes you have to relax and let the music dictate to you what to play right. and if you trust it enough it'll t- tell you exactly what to play you mm-hmm. know it's it's like a lot of that comes with too is just taking your time and making sure all of your notes get all their value like when guys I know when, when I have guys working on playing I'll say play me a solo just quarter notes eighth notes and triplets no double time no dugga, dugga, dugga. none of that we can all do, do that forever right Let's play, I want to hear phrases, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. there's the space in between those notes that really make it musical. And you elongating
0: have to, those notes, right? Elongating
1: those notes, singing those notes, making sure that it gets its full value, you know, it's so important. So I just believe I believe in space because especially I hear so many drummers that play a lot of notes. If you play a lot of notes, that's cool. I'm, I'm not against that either. I'm, you know, I watch Dennis Chambers. I'm wild like the next guy. I right. like to see all that. But sometimes some guys play like that and it's like, okay, so now what do you do when you stop? You know, it's like, right. you know, you got to start here to get
0: there. You can't <laughs> always start here.
1: You yeah, know, you so. started
0: 150. Where are you going from exactly. there? Exactly. <laughs> so that's my
1: whole approach. I think you you have to pull people into what you're doing. You want to get them by and i I think you you can usually do that by by dynamics mm-hmm. or a phrase the opening phrase to whatever you're playing mm-hmm. or just simplicity. You play something simple and you keep building it and building it. you make it you create a little
0: theme and keep building and build. it's like it opens like a flower man people right. get you know you get their attention. Mm-hmm. Now, so this is I mean i'm I, I know that this is gonna to be a hard question to answer, but i'm I'm fascinated with the cerebral side of of playing. I mean, I don't need to sit here and say, hey, man, how do you play a double power diddle? That's, that's right. you know, the easy stuff. So how do, you, how do you get to that point? How do you suggest that people get to the point where the music is dictating what they're playing, to where they're realizing that they're playing in between the notes, they're letting the stuff freeze, they're playing mm-hmm. melodically and musically? And it, I know that it takes years.
1: It, it takes years. It's experience, and mm-hmm. it's also it's selflessness, you have to really think about, like, music is created by a group of people, and it's all about the sum of the parts. So you have to think like, like, you start with, you have to think like this. I always say this to myself. I don't care about myself. My job is to make everybody sound good. Now, if I could just sit there and play a groove and not play any fills, just play a real intense groove and just hold it, and I can get somebody to turn around and smile at me, that's, that means I'm doing my job, especially an older musician. Right, I can get them to really feel what I'm doing like I want to, you have to be able to create with very minimal like if you, and the same thing if you're looking at it with funk or pop, look at Steve somebody like Steve Jordan, mm-hmm. he'll just sit there and lay on a groove and play the same thing, no fills, no nothing yep. and it'll be so intense that's, that's what it's, it's about, Create. when I say create moods, you just have to create we don't have, a, a lot of us don't have a, enough confidence or we're too impatient of people, we want right. to we want to get everything out there. It's like sometimes you just got to sit back and play nothing, and let the nothing grow into something. You know, right. you know. It, it, and it doesn't matter. It can be, listen, whatever the music calls for, play what the music calls for. It could be two notes sometimes, or mm-hmm. it could be two million. But your job is just to be able to discern whether you play the two or the two million. You don't want to play two million when you should be playing two. Right. And vice versa, and that's what that's what keeps that's what makes us artists, I think. And this is what a lot of people uh, what a lot of people fail to achieve. Right. I think it, it, the whole thing is just patience. It's patience, and it's like listening to music for a long time, mm-hmm. and studying guys, and f- just finding little uh, things that you do, like your own niche. You, you got to find your your voice within what you do, right? And try to work on that. I know I can't play like uh, you know. There's little kids that can play circles around me, technically. I can't play all that stuff. Right. So I have to find what I do and make that special, whether that's playing space, really playing space, really being patient, really trying to get a nice sound out of the drums or a good sound on the cymbals. Mm-hmm. For me, that's... And that's why I always equate it to playing musically, not not really playing... I don't play the drums. I, I play music, but I use the drums as a, as a tool. Right, right.
0: Yeah, I... You know, I th- a lot of the, the speed and the chops and all of that stuff is it's sensationalized now, especially with YouTube and Instagram yes, and all that yes. other stuff. But yes. for me, man, I'm like, I'm going on YouTube trying to find the Steve Gadd clip where he's playing, you know, at 40 mm-hmm. beats a minute and, and making mm-hmm. it sound and feel really, really good. Mm-hmm. And trust
1: me, those are the guys that really get the big calls, the ones that really groove, mm-hmm. really groove hard. I mean, the chops thing is cool, but. I never understood like looking at a clip on thing when somebody's a guy's going boop That's it, right. man. I mean it's it's exciting. I guess it's nice to watch, but if I'm for musical taste, it just doesn't you know, these some of these guys can't play a shuffle. You gotta right. be able to play a shuffle first.
0: Right. <laughs> you know, I equate it to if you and I were sitting there having a conversation and every time you went to talk and I was like, no, Byron, man, let me tell you something. Let me, yo, exactly. Hey, 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 it's like, hey, can I? Exactly. Are you, are you going to let me talk? I think Glenn Farrico told me. You can, tell, mm-hmm. you can tell how people play by the way they talk. That's true. That's true. Like, look at us. We're having a conversation. We're a band. This right. is what
1: bands have. We have to converse like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it can start out very simple and then get into something complex, but... At least if we start simple, we can. We got somewhere to go, right? You, you know.
0: I remember reading an article that when people use um in their sentences, mm-hmm. that they do that because they're afraid of silence. They're afraid of pausing. Ah. So not that's interesting. Subconsciously, they're afraid of it, so they say that's um because they f- they want to fill the space in between the words. And I feel the same way when people play. And I'm guilty of this too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I do the. I, I think I do the same thing once in a while. That if if I'm if I start to play something and maybe there's no ideas pl- coming through or there's nothing musical happening, then uh, basically I start saying um, uh, you know, uh, so yeah. uh, so I uh, so uh, you know, <laughs> so next thing mm-hmm. up, I'm like, ah, oh, let me play that parrot thing that I know, mm-hmm. do, you know. All that stuff. It was just I. I made the connection of people playing too many notes, sort of not having confidence in their in their vocabulary.
1: Well, that's that's some of it too. I, I think you know, especially with playing. Like you can always tell when you make a guy play a slower song, mm-hmm. and then make them solo over a slower song. That's where you that separates the men from the from their boys. Right. Well, you just play a double time, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you play double time. You're going to sound like a boy because. It's like, just kidding. you don't have to, <laughs> It's and that's the thing, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a worldly thing because we are afraid of space. I think you said that, mm-hmm. or we feel like we have to, and I, and I'm no, I'm no different. I'm guilty as well. Mm-hmm. We feel like we, when we're presented with space, we feel like we have to fill it up. Right. And that's not true. Sometimes you just have to let it breathe. For some moments in life, there are no words. I always right. try to keep that in mind. Just, you know. Let it breathe. Sometimes mm-hmm. don't always say anything.
0: <laughs> it's sort of you know if you're in a conversation and and you know say you catch somebody in a lie and mm-hmm. they just look at you and they don't say anything. They don't say anything. That silence is so powerful. Yes, so it is. They say, oh no, oh, 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 you know if they just uh-huh. don't say anything, that mm-hmm. that, that action speaks. You know, there you go. That's a anywhere. good
1: analogy. There. Think about that when you're when you're improvising. You want to make sure that you can give them that look. Mm-hmm. Joe Jones has it with like Papa Joe Jones. Mm-hmm. Watch him solo. Look how he's looking at the audience when he plays a phrase, and he'll just leave his right. his conviction and right. his confidence. That's like that's what playing you communicating with people is, is about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that the confidence in your playing allows you to express the way that you want. Like if I'm talking about something that I'm really knowledgeable about. Mm-hmm. Then I have conviction. I have I'm confident in what I'm saying and I'm saying, no, this is the way it is and this is how right. no, this is how right. it works. But if I don't really know, I'm gonna sort of fumble around and I'm gonna say um a lot and I'm gonna uh well I, uh, you know, I kind of uh I you know, same thing with playing as far as I'm concerned.
1: hmm That's true. That's true. So That's very true. <laughs>
0: so I know that uh Uh, these are all fantastic topics and I know that people want to learn more about it. So do you teach privately as well or do you just teach at Temple? I do.
1: I teach privately uh, as well as at Temple. Okay. I teach here at at my Mm -hmm. home. Okay. I live in East Oak Lane section of Philadelphia. I've been doing, I mean, I've been teaching a little bit now. Now I think about it for maybe 20 years and I started out with just like one guy. Right. and, And I end up with a lot. And a lot of the stuff like I teach, I mean, I don't really sit down and teach go, go through stick control with guys. I mean, mm-hmm. we we can do that, but it it I like to teach more about concept and about what you're thinking and what you're feeling when you're playing. Right. Like what we're discussing now, a lot of that has to do with it. I do a lot of talking when people are when people are playing because it's all about what you're feeling and right. and your perception of of, you know, what's happening musically as opposed to, you know, okay, I'm just going to play this groove and force this on you.
0: Sure. Sure, I dig the I dig the conceptual stuff too, man. That's mm. to me, that's more important almost than the technique. You know, like get the technique stuff out of the way, and then yeah, then and learn that's, the and I mean
1: deep stuff. and deeply too, because I even with rock music, like I still right. you know listen to Brian Blade play, you know, with Joni Mitchell or something like that. Still music, you know, you can you still got to have. I think you should have everything, even if you're playing a a metal gig where you have to play really hard. And really fast and long. You still got to have a little bit of dynamic range in that too. You got you can't just be one level all the time. It's got to have a little bit of dip to it. Right. And a little bit of, you know, uncanniness as well, I guess. You
0: know. Right. I totally agree, man. I totally mm-hmm. agree. Well, listen, this conversation has been both riveting and, and awe-inspiring. And, and made me oh. think made me think about my my playing differently. And I know that it did that for the listeners as well. Fantastic. And, I encourage the listeners to check out Byron's website. It's Byron Wookie Lanham. So it's B Y R O N W O O K I E L A N D H M dot com. Correct. And uh, that's a long website. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can contact me on there. All my contacts are on there, my calendars on there, my discography and uh and some of the things, uh like my bio's on there as well and some nice pictures from years ago and now and
0: and, I, and i'm going i'll take um, in the show notes page of the podcast i'm going to put the video that you have on your website i'm going to put it on there too so people can check it out of the just check out the solo that byron plays with uh with pat martino and it's just the the musicality and and the silence and and just the conviction that you're playing is amazing so i i encourage everybody to check that out and byron i want to tell you man thank you so much for for doing this it's been a pleasure having you you've been an inspiration of mine for years i've i've you know grown up knowing your name and and knowing you're playing so it's a pleasure to actually sit down and chat with you man i appreciate everything that you do
1: thank you nick i really appreciate that and it's my pleasure and anytime anything i can do you always let me know
0: well i appreciate that man thank you so much and uh enjoy the rest of your weekend okay you too brother All take right, care thanks man so there you have it, Mr. Byron Wookie Landham, And there was a bit of some audio difficulty going on in that interview. So working on getting that fixed. I got this new microphone, but something's still going on, getting some noise or something. So I'll, uh, I'll be sure to, to fix that here soon. And as I mentioned, if you're digging the podcast, do me a favor, leave a rating or review on iTunes, and I would really, really appreciate it. And until the next podcast... Keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.